Let me again uh, welcome you and let you know that um, we're not only glad to see you, but if you're a guest here, uh, we encourage you, or if you have any concerns, if you're not a guest, to take a few moments, fill out this uh, contact card uh, throughout the course of the service, and then place it in one of the little black boxes that are in the back and also down uh, the foyer. Uh, If you're a guest today, we'd love to have uh, a way that we can share Uh, about our ministries and mission to you. In the book of Romans, St. Paul captured famously, just famously, the struggle that the human race has with sin. Listen to this. He writes, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. I've been in ministry for uh, almost 35 years now. I've never heard someone come up and say, hey, Pastor Phil, I've memorized this passage. Let me say it to you. It is really a tongue twister, isn't it? But it's so true. He gets to the heart, doesn't he, of the struggle that humankind has with sin. It is deeply connected to our inner being. We have a sinful nature, and if that sinful nature is left unchecked, it seeps out of our lives in the form of sinful behavior. However, you cannot stop reading Romans with chapter 7. You have to turn the page on chapter 7 and get to chapter 8 because he goes on to write, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. He gets to the heart of the matter. I call this being and doing. Who we are on the inside, our our very being, flows to the outside. And if the Spirit of God is shaping our very being, then the things of the Spirit, the good things, will emerge. But if it is our flesh that is driving our being, maybe we have gone through a season where worries and anxieties and stresses have just grabbed our heart and they're starting to drive our being, then if it is the flesh that is driving our beings, then it is the things of the flesh, the things of self, selfish self-centered, self-focused, you put whatever you want to after the hyphen, self emerges. Let me offer a somewhat tame analogy from my personal life. I've noticed, and regrettably a little more so lately, that there are two fills. No, not a, a split personality diagnosis, but I'm referring to fast fill and unhurried fill. Fast fill schedules appointments and events too close together. He moves from one thing to another way too fast. And when he does this, 
He not only speaks in the third person all the time, like I'm doing right now, but when he does this, he happens to fail to see the needs of others. And if he is in fast-fill mode too long, he can get snappy. He can get short. He can have sort of a spirit of frustration. And I've noticed one thing about fast fill is he sighs a lot when he's in fast fill mode. Just, you ever just hear somebody just go, <sighs> you know, there's lots of words that are being communicated with that sigh. And then there is unhurried fill. Unhurried fill takes time in between appointments. He gets to know strangers, even gets to know the names of their dogs. He listens to people's challenges and if he's able he tries to meet the needs of others. The sighs of fast fill are replaced by whistling. Unhurried Phil whistles a lot when he walks. Let me give you an example. The other day, and this is not to, to lift Unhurried Phil up, but just hear me out. The other day, Unhurried Phil stopped at his favorite coffee shop, St. Elmo's in North Old Town, for a bagel. And there was a guy in St. Elmo's, and Unhurried Phil went in, and the guy said, hey, buddy, can you buy me a grilled cheese sandwich? And immediately, Unhurried Phil saw the, the manager of the store, and her face was, was, was very stressed, because I think that guy had done that to many customers that had come in. And I asked her, I said, if it's not going to make any difficulty for you, I'd like to buy this guy a sandwich. So I bought him a sandwich. And, uh, and then, after a little bit of time, unhurried Phil then went over to the guy and said, hey, listen, there are lots of places in Old Town you can get a hot breakfast every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, and you can spend two hours at least in those places plugging your phones, taking advantage of the restrooms and all this. And he really wanted to know more. I, I wrote down every single place where that happens here in Old Town. But then Unhurried Phil went a step further and went to the store manager and said, let me give you a list. Let me show you how to help people when they come in. And she was so grateful. Now, one of the things I've noticed, a little paradox here, Unhurried Phil gets a lot more work done for Jesus than fast fill. Fast fill tends to make work for Jesus. <laughs> now, that's a tame example, and I wish it was not true, but it is. What I do, how I act, how I behave toward others and before the Lord flows right out of my inner being. Flesh versus spirit. I think we would all agree with St. Paul. It is a daily battle. So today we continue our series called Faith in Action, which is based on the book of James. We're going to dig around this idea of being and doing just a little bit more. So let me invite you to turn to James chapter 1. Turn or launch your Bibles to James, James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. And before I, I read our text for today, let me just offer a powerful concept that, that James outlines right before uh, this text. It was right after last week's text and right before this one, but I don't want us to miss it. And it's regarding the nature of temptation. And just a simple truth here. When we are tempted to sin, what usually happens? 
So when we're tempted to sin, there's a really good chance that we're going to start looking around and do a survey. Okay, who can I blame for my sin? And one of the things that we want to be careful of, and James wants us to know, especially after he's talking about God allowing us to experience trials, James wants to make sure that we know that we cannot blame God for temptation. God does not tempt his children to sin. Make sure you underscore that part or highlight it uh, in your Bible. When we sin, it is because of the evil desires within us. James writes, you know, that our evil desires lures us into sin. We should not blame God. I saw a picture this past week. Michael, will you put that up there? I absolutely love this picture. Everything happens for a reason. And sometimes we just make bad choices, right? We listen to our flesh and we sin. Now, I don't know what picture number two looks like, but I guarantee you picture number two is not good for the monkey, right? All right, so let's move on here. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. James writes, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says." Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at it himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is God's word for the people of God. When it comes to the behaviors that shape our lives, the doing, if you will, we need to get to the heart of the matter. And James starts by reminding us that words matter. Words matter. That old playground proverb, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a lie. It's a lie. The words we use with others have enormous power to either lift up or destroy. And it is clear when you read through James, he is very concerned about quarrels and disunity in the Christian community and people doing damage to others with their words. This subject is so important that we're going to spend an entire sermon on it on May 22nd. So let me just set the table briefly today and we'll come back around on May 22nd. The words that come out of our mouths in and of themselves are merely sounds and syllables. They have to be attached to something to make them meaningful. And what makes them so powerful, what gives them meaning, is that they're attached to this reality of being and doing. The words that we say 
The words that, that come out of our mouths, the doing aspect of words, are connected to the feelings and the values and the attitudes that we hold in our heart. Jesus said, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let me say that again. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Take a a mental survey just for a moment of the last time you said a powerful word. And ask yourself, where did that word come from? That powerful word that you last spoke, may have been this morning, may have been a week ago, may have been a month ago. That powerful word that you last spoke may have been a powerful word that lifted somebody up or absolutely tore somebody down. Now ask yourself, where did it come from? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now to be sure, we can use words that are not a reflection of our heart. And we would call that deceit or hypocrisy. But in general, what we say is how we feel about a matter. This is why the wisdom from James is so important. Be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Words that are worrisome, words that often create pain and havoc, are words said when emotions are are running high, when we speak too, too fast. When emotions are running high, we form quick decisions and quick opinions and about something or someone, and then those words just sort of take flight out of our mouths and have the capacity to wound. James is saying, listen, let it settle. Think it through. Give the Lord the Lord's time to work. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Researchers have discovered that in general, it takes five positive words to encounter one negative word. And I actually think that's probably a little bit higher. Now, it's not just words that are spoken in anger quickly. There are other times we speak quickly out of jealousy to promote ourselves by spreading gossip, or the class clown may speak too quickly and make a joke at someone's expense to get an attention, to get attention, or sometimes we just want to be clever and we speak too quick. A few days ago, I was watching this really funny video on Facebook, and it was sort of slapstick humor, all clean and everything, and the video was about seven minutes long, And I was really enjoying it. I mean, it was just funny. I was laughing hard and loud. And and about the five-minute mark, I hit share. And at about the five-and-a-half-minute mark, I saw a comment that was tasteless. I quickly, about 15 seconds, I just deleted it really fast. Because I didn't want my name associated with that. But I was too quick to share because I wanted to share something clever under my name, and then realized, wow, I don't want to be associated with that. On May 22nd, we'll talk more about taming the tongue and social media, because that's important. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to share on social media. 
James wraps up this section with a warning that we should be careful and not speak in anger and claim to be speaking in righteous anger. He writes, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Apparently, some were claiming a sense of righteous anger as a way to express their frustrations with, within the community. I'll just say this on the matter for this week. There is a place for righteous anger in our world. There's a place for it. And our Lord expressed it a few times that we know of. But as frail human beings, we rarely are able to hold the righteous part of that equation. And James reminds us when it happens, it does not produce the fruit, the righteousness that God desires. So the words that we utter are connected to our being. They're connected to what is going on in our heart. It makes sense then that James gets to the heart of the matter in the second part of our passage. He writes, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Let me just pause there for a minute. If, as St. Paul writes, our human nature, he calls this the flesh, is powerful and can make us prone or inclined to sin, then something needs to happen to that nature to thwart and to hinder the flow of sin out of our lives. How does this happen? Well, it's not by our efforts. It's by the work of the Holy Spirit which takes up residence in our lives when we take Christ to the center of our being. When we yield our lives to Christ, God gives us through the Holy Spirit a new heart and a new beginning and a new being. And He gives us by His grace a heart that is capable of of producing good fruit in the world around us. That is, that is, ah, that's the gospel for every day. That we don't have to live down to the lower versions of ourselves. We can live up to all that Christ wants us to be. Notice how James finishes that statement. He says, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. I love that analogy. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. In humility, we accept God's wisdom over our wisdom. In humility, we recognize our need for a new heart. And in humility, we allow the Spirit to lead us to understand and receive the wisdom of God in Scripture and hear the good news there. Humbly accept the word that has been planted in you, which means it's just not going to stay in the ground like a seed, is it? It's going to grow. And the the Word of God is going to keep growing and growing and growing in your life and producing the good stuff that God wants out of you. That's the gospel for every day. Repentance, or as James writes, getting rid of moral filth, opens us to the work of the Spirit, the growth of God's Word in our lives. But it takes humility. It takes daily surrender and submission to the Holy Spirit to hear the Word, to hear it and to apply it. To hear it and not apply it, James says, is like looking in a mirror and then forgetting what you look like. It's hard to imagine for us, isn't it? Because we, we, we have pictures of ourselves more than any other generation has ever seen, ever, Right? We can see ourselves nonstop, 24-7. We can see ourselves on our phones. We can, see our, we can post every, pictures like crazy. 
I've probably got more pictures of my dog than my parents ever had of their four kids. We are a photographed people. But what a beautiful metaphor for Scripture. The Bible is like a mirror in our life. If we read it with an open heart and an open mind, it will lead us to see ourselves in the same way that God sees us. It will allow us to see that we are incredibly and amazingly loved by God. And it will also allow us to see that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Sinners in need of salvation. It will lead us to specifically see where we may miss the mark. If we're all honest... Perhaps there are times we don't want to read Scripture because we don't want to look in the mirror or we don't want the mirror to be accurate. I went through a shark tank phase. I'm out of it now. And I would watch old reruns of the show Shark Tank in which entrepreneurs, you probably know the plot of the show, would pitch their business to seasoned wealthy business women and men known as sharks to see if they would invest. I kid you not, in one episode, one woman was pitching her business. Serious business. She was pitching her business that sold mirrors that made people look 5 to 10 pounds skinnier than they really are. How? I was about to buy it. I'm kidding. They refused to invest because they thought it was deceitful. You think? (laughs) Truth be known, at times we may want to alter God's Word or just refuse to look at it openly and honestly because we don't like what we see when we look. We don't like what we see about ourselves. But we need to. We can't grow spiritually unless we start by being honest with God and honest with ourselves. James is saying here, listen to God's Word. Allow it to shape your life. Allow it to give you a vision of you as you really are. If it encourages you in a certain behavior that you're doing, keep doing it. If you read the Word of God and you hear God calling you to a deeper place of commitment to Him, go there. If you read the Word of God and you get convicted of a sinful attitude or behavior, don't forget what you read. Turn away from sin and go the direction that God wants you to go. James ends this chapter with a summary. Religion that God honors work on the interior. In other words, don't be polluted by the world. That's the being. And the exterior. Look after the least of these. Widows and orphans. Those have a soft heart for people. Being and doing. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that God promises us a new heart and a new being when we give our lives to Him. The goodness that is able to flow out of each one of us is because of the goodness and grace of Jesus, our hope. And I've seen goodness flow out of you. Don't ever dismiss or discount the fact that that is God in you, showing himself through you to the world. You know, we serve a Lord who demonstrated the essence of the life God wants for each of us. A life marked by self-giving love. 
every fiber of his being was dedicated to demonstrating the love of God for humankind. And his life, his actions, his sacrifice, his body, his blood flowed out of him, out of his being to the world. This morning we're going to celebrate communion. As you receive the bread and the cup, I just simply want to encourage you to receive it with gratitude. Receive with gratitude the very heart of Jesus, his being that led to his sacrifice, his doing for you. I'm going to pray for us as we prepare our hearts for communion. Let me invite our deacons to to come on up and be ready to share. As we receive communion this morning, we're going to invite you to come uh, to the communion stations. Uh, You will receive a a piece of bread will be handed to you. Um, A cup of, of juice will also be handed to you. And you can take the bread and the juice right there. You don't need to wait for everybody to take it together. You can take it right there. You can take it back to your seats and take it there. If you prefer not to receive up here, we have communion kits in the back. If you'd rather have one of those self-contained kits, please know they're back on the table uh, in the center there. Let's prepare our hearts to receive communion. Lord God, we thank you for showing us the gospel for every day. Thank you for loving us so much that you've not only saved us, but you promised to shape us and give us a new heart. You've promised the comforter. You've promised us the Holy Spirit, the present, your presence living deeply and fully within us. And so God, I pray for, for each person here Lord, that we would spend just a few moments, even right now, confessing our sins before you. Hear, O God, our prayers of confession this morning. God, you tell us in your words that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just and you will purify us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, God, for the blood of Jesus that forgives us and cleanses us of our sin. Hear our prayers of thanksgiving to you. Lord God, you constantly, daily call us to commitment. And so I pray, O oh God, that you would lead each one of us to commit to walking before you humbly, to humbly accept the word planted in us, to yield to your Holy Spirit's work to grow that word so that your goodness flows out of us. Hear our prayers of commitment this morning to follow you. Lord God, we thank you and we love you. We thank you for the life, the ministry, the death, the promise of the resurrection. 
of our Lord Jesus. In His name we pray, and it is Him that we honor this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.